0: You're listening to Three Makes Baby, a podcast about fertility, family, and genetics. I'm Jana Repnow, a fertility counselor and author of Three Makes Baby. Welcome to the show. So I am here today and i'm gonna let you introduce yourself hello
1: thank you so much for having me on today um my name is eloise and my friends know me as Al. and um i am the founder of fertility help hub
0: tell me a little bit more about fertility help hub i know it's a website so what kind of space is it it's
1: a tra- space so that people don't feel overwhelmed it's not cluttered it's beautiful and it's a space where you can find everything and just relax and take a breath and think
0: Mm -hmm. oh
1: this is just sort of de-stressing me slightly and giving me all these amazing resources at my fingertips so stop the manic googling and enjoy your time there so Mm. yes all the helpful stuff that really my husband and I would have loved three to five years ago which we couldn't find at the time
0: yeah absolutely and tell me what was going on three to five years ago. with Yeah, process.
1: absolutely. So this is what, what led me into this because I've come through this sort of at the speed of light and I've, I've come out the other side as I'll, I'll tell you about and I suddenly have looked back and I've thought, wow, what we've just been through is a huge deal. And um, talking about things with friends whilst I was going through our fertility struggle really, really helped me Success, you know, tell me more about that. What helped you? What did you do? What did you not do? That kind of thing. I thought, what better way than to pass on all the things that I found useful to other people? Um, so it was 2015, you know, with when, when traumatic things happen in your life, you always remember the date, don't you? Yes, I don't you know do. how, but you just do. It's in, imprinted mm-hmm. in your memory. Sure um, it was November the 3rd, 2015, and mm-hmm. my husband and I have been trying for a baby naturally since May, so not long. Um, we were both 30, and we were both been married for a couple of years. We did the usual thing of thinking, let's just have a bit of fun and enjoy married life before we try and have a baby. Um, never really anticipating that there would be a problem. He certainly didn't, but I always thought in the back of my mind, I just, you know, what would I do if we have a struggle? I almost worried about it before it even happened. Mm, Like you had Um, an
0: intuition about it? Yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So I um, around November time when things when I'd had quite a few months of um, we'd had quite a few months of no success. I thought because in the UK, um, you have to be trying for a year before doctors will on the NHS national health service will Mm -hmm. sort of look at you and and say, see what's going on. Mm -hmm. So I knew because I'd had the call removed five months before I knew six months, whatever I knew we wouldn't be taken seriously. So we just went and had a private fertility MOT, which in the grand scheme of things was worth the money. Um, And it revealed it was a dreadful day. We had to go in at different times during that day. Mm -hmm. I went in in the morning and they said, yeah, everything looks good for your age, your eggs, etc. all looks okay. Um, so I left thinking, worst case scenario, we could have IVF, not knowing anything about it or the extent of it. Um, so I hopped off to work really happy. And then I didn't hear from my husband who was having his test at lunchtime until I got a text. Um, and he revealed there was a huge issue on the sperm side. So mm. I literally, heart racing, palpitation, sweating. I was at work, basically went home, floods of tears. It's all a blur. Those first few weeks were all a blur. Um, We comforted each other. We had some wine. Um, We had family around us. We just didn't really know what to do Mm -hmm. because we also hadn't told anyone about these tests. So my family were abroad. Um, it, it It was a massive shock to them too. And also because no one could tell us medically what the cause of his sperm issue was we were just googling things and guessing so december time um which felt like forever we got a diagnosis that he um, has um, a syndrome that is genetic called kleinfelter syndrome which actually affects one in 600 men i think that's the statistic at the moment Mm -hmm. and that's huge That's Mm -hmm. actually, if you think of the population, that's a lot of men, but we, we'd never heard about it. Um, and a lot of men don't realize they have it until they try for a baby because one of the main side effects is having a, um, a lower level of testosterone and therefore not necessarily producing enough sperm or sperm that would be viable, that comes out and is viable to, um, fertilize an egg. So,
0: okay. So he was a carrier, Of it, or he actually did have the condition but just didn't have exactly any other symptoms,
1: exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly, he's always been tall for his family, that's another um symptom, if you like. Um, but he'd never thought anything of it. Okay, Um, a lot of men go diagnosed not knowing they have undiagnosed, not knowing they have it Mm -hmm. if they haven't tried for children, because that's the main um way that it, it it kind of transpires um it's not something that can be cured it's a genetic extra chromosome so um we knew straight away after that diagnosis that the chance of his sperm being viable was slim mm-hmm. so um we had a grueling through few months where we were toying with having him having an operation to see whether they could extract some sperm from the testes. And I was told I would need to have IVF in tandem with that fresh so that if they found sperm, um, it would give it the best chance it could have at at fertilizing an egg rather Mm. than being frozen. So um, we looked at the success rates of London versus America um, and the pricing plans were very similar. So, um, we decided um, with help from family and having saved that we would um, go across the pond and have treatment in New York at Cornell because um, the top urologist there, Dr. Schlegel, is, I believe, a pioneer of the surgery. Um, He's very, very um, experienced and advanced in that area. So his success rate was a lot higher than um, the urologists that all urologists my husband saw in London. Mm -hmm. So once that decision was made, it was kind of like, okay, action plan station. Um, I just threw myself into um, getting myself ready, my body ready, nutritionally, doing exercise, trying to lose a little bit of weight, taking supplements, um, not drinking, just getting into the headspace because I just didn't know what was to come. And I had been told that... Eggs can take three months to develop. So egg health, you want to start thinking about it 90 days before. Um, And we actually only had, I think, a month and a half before we got on board with the surgery dates. Mm -hmm. So um, didn't quite have as long to get ready as I wanted. Anyway, we moved along with it. And in the February of the following year, 2016, We went to New York. Um, My mother um, accompanied me at that point because um, I had to go for nearly a month because of the stimulation process, which was so stressful because I had to take the time off work. Um, I was honest with them because obviously they needed to know why I was taking medical leave. Um, And it's not necessarily a conversation you want to have with your employer. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, You wouldn't normally tell people when you're trying to have a baby naturally. So yeah feels it feels you know rather um frustrating to have to do that when you're just because you're having treatment um and, and also then it then it means that everyone feels like they have a right to know where you are in the process of that treatment because um they can ask for some reason they feel like it's their business yeah um yeah like when are you testing when's the transfer that kind of thing and and yeah as you know, that's um <laughs> that's a common, a common thing that people find,
0: yeah, and I think that people feel like there is there's so much small talk around babies and and pregnancy that's casual and common that people mistakenly think the same would applies to trying to have a baby, and it's very different. absolutely. It's yeah. so
1: sensitive, it's so it really sensitive, is. It um, is. and it's so different for everyone as well, and different personalities, different journeys, everything as a contributing factor to that experience. Um, so I'm in New York at this point. Um, we had picked a sperm donor because we were told that we needed to um, in advance of the treatment. And um, it was a couple of weeks, so sorry, it was 10 days before my egg retrieval, roughly. I was on the stems process. And we had vials shipped to Cornell. And then we had a call from the bank To say that there was an issue with the donor that we had picked. And we were advised to pick a sperm donor. And they used the word backup, which I hate. Mm -hmm. um, In case the operation didn't work. So that they had sperm ready to go. And Mm -hmm. so we went into it not knowing whether we were picking one or someone who we were actually going to use. Which is a really odd scenario. Um, And so 10 days before I had this call from the bank to say, this literally never happens. But the donor you've picked has just had a child with someone else and um, there's a genetic issue with tumours. So wow! having spent a gruelling f- couple of months picking and finalising this donor, we were then in this headspace where we had to reconsider and pick someone else with me in New York and my husband in London because he was flying out for his surgery um, you know, a, a little later in the journey when he needed to because
0: mm-hmm. he had to be at work. So, you know, it's, I have to say, it's so interesting. And I hear, I've spoken to so many people over hundreds of people over the last decade. And it's so interesting to hear you say that they say this literally never happens. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard people tell me that, that that's what they're told really, from different um, agencies and in the, um, and doctors even in the business is that, yeah or in the industry, in the field. I know people don't like to think of it as a business or an industry. So trying to be sensitive around that, but, um, there, I've heard that many times. And so it's, I don't know if that's, uh, you know, it's because there's so many, there's so many new aspects,
1: you know, Absolutely. fertility treatment,
0: so many things that are new and different and variety of situations and, and people and so you know, I'm not saying that it's not there's not truth to it, um, because I think there are all are a lot of new things that happen almost every day in the field. But sometimes I do wonder if that's a, you know, a way to, you know, soften the blow <laughs> that they say that to you. And and it's funny because it's actually had the opposite effect on some of my clients where they've people have told them that it's never happened before and that makes them feel worse because that makes them right. feel like, why me? Why did this right. happen to me? When if yeah. they were actually told, you know what, this is quite common. I'm really sorry this happened, but this is, it can happen that you don't feel like you're, it's something again is wrong with you because we're women and men are already dealing with those feelings of something's yeah. wrong with me. And Absolutely. I hope that anyone's out there that's listening, that is part of the, in, the industry or the field knows that, you know, it's not always helpful to be told that it's the first time it's ever happened if that's not actually mm-hmm. entirely the full picture. So anyway, that's my soapbox. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I appreciate that. I think um, it was a double sort of whammy for us because we were dealing with a genetic issue on my husband's side. So to then have be thrown with another genetic issue, it just felt it felt like why us? How can this happen twice? Yeah. Um, and so we just thought, you know. We 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 don't want to take that risk. There's so much uncertainty as there is. Let's pick. Let's pick someone else. So actually, we went back to the drawing board, and we ended up picking my husband's favorite, which, you know, sort of speaks volum- volumes. Really, doesn't it? It's yes. come around in a circle. Um, mm-hmm. And he was his favorite because he matched him um, the best physically. Um, but also because he has a very similar sense of humor from what we know mm-hmm. in terms of sarcasm, likes, mm. foods, animals, you know, just dry sense of humor. Just the things that make you think, yeah, this could be someone similar to the person we know and love. Yes. You feel like you've got that mutual connection. Mm-hmm. Um, so fate had it and we we picked him. Um and the operation happened the day before my egg retrieval so that the sperm would have been fresh um sadly he was under the knife for five hours so we knew at that point as with my father-in-law at this point we knew that it wasn't good news because we've been told that if it took over two hours the likelihood was that it hadn't worked because they would have had to go into both testicles um Mm -hmm. so we weren't surprised when the news was delivered to us but it was really really difficult because my husband was still unconscious so he was coming round from the general and he wanted to know straight away he saw the clock and he said hasn't worked um hasn't worked has it yeah. and yeah. we my father-in-law and I almost wanted the specialist to tell him the news because we felt like coming from a medical expert mm-hmm. it would Sure. Um, I don't know how, but we knew we would get very, very upset telling him. So that's how it happened. I mean, it wasn't Mm. really going to soften the blow, but he was in a great deal of pain. And Mm -hmm. I guess it's just hard because it's kind of like I've gone through all of this pain emotionally and physically, and we haven't got the result that we were hoping for. Mm -hmm. Um, I was very tearful too, but I just, I was also apprehensive about the retrieval the next day. And just was in a very weird headspace. Mm-hmm. Um, so then that evening we just sort of um, commiserated in the hotel room, and he was in a lot of pain. Um, you know, I had I was ready to pop with my um, eggs, you know, mm-hmm. um, follicles. Um, so the next morning <clears throat> I went in early for my egg retrieval, and it wasn't until about ten minutes before I went, I, I was sedated, that I had a call to say the um, tissue they were watching overnight was not going to be good enough, uh, not going to be formed enough to use to fertilize eggs. So that was the moment it was confirmed that Mm -hmm. we were using the donor sperm. And that was odd because um, my father-in-law accompanied me to the um, retrieval because my husband couldn't walk. He was Mm -hmm. in bed at the hotel. Um, And him and I didn't have a chance to speak before my egg retrieval and before fertilization.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: um mm, so wow. i had I had to tell him that news once I got back um then the next day, when we had the fertilization results, it was really hard for him because it was kind of bittersweet. We were one step closer to having a baby, and I had thirteen eggs and twelve out of twelve had fertilized, which is an amazing result mm-hmm. um but It wasn't what he wanted to hear. It wasn't what we had both dreamed of, but we were that step closer to having a family. So Mm. it was a very odd feeling that day.
0: Such a Um, a mixed set of emotions. Absolutely.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, And I know we've got a lot to talk about, so I won't um, dwell on this part too much, but uh, basically, however meant you know, two weeks later, took the test, um, transfer of two embryos at day three, In New York still at Cornell. Went back, it was Easter Sunday and we were with family um, away for the weekend and my husband and I ran into the bedroom all excited about testing. I was convinced I was pregnant because of all the progesterone symptoms,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, like convinced and all the stuff I'd been reading. Um, So we sat there waiting for the line to go, hadn't told anyone we were testing and then it popped up not pregnant Mm. and Literally, I just lost it. I was so hot, sweating, mm. crying hysterically. And my husband was really upset and he cried too, but he wasn't nearly as upset as I was. Mm-hmm. And I think he probably almost felt a sense of relief at that point because everything had happened so quickly. Yeah. It had only been two weeks since his failed operation mm-hmm. that it, it, in hindsight, it gave him a bit of time to reconsider what had happened and to adjust and to slightly grieve um, for his own genetic loss
0: mm-hmm.
1: so um sense. yeah but I, I guess in my headspace I was kind of like we've done all of this and we're still not closer to having a baby mm-hmm. and then I started to panic that there might be an issue on my side
0: okay but you had you still had 11 embryos left
1: well no they didn't they didn't develop as my specialist oh, okay. would have liked so okay. we ended up with two frozen embryos from okay two, two frozen blastocysts remaining in New York. So a couple of months later, um, we went back and had a natural transfer. And that was a much more relaxed trip because it was a natural transfer. Because I went into it feeling like it probably could fail. I hadn't set the expectations that I had the first time. The only thing I was terrified about was dealing with the um, failure again because I had been so low after the first round failed. my husband, he had his birthday whilst we were out there. We just had a really nice time together, um, which was amazing considering what had just happened the months mm-hmm. before. Um, so there were fe- there were probably less expectations riding on this trip, which helped.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, my specialist said, let's transfer too. So we did. Um, and then we found out a couple of weeks later that I was pregnant. Yeah. Um,
0: but was, just- was this the same donor? So was this the same embryos that you had frozen? Yes, it was. Yes. Okay.
1: Yes, okay. exactly, exactly. So um, obviously, absolutely elated with the news. Um, yeah. Couldn't have been happier. My husband was very excited and very happy to be having a family, but it did take him a while to adjust to me being pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, he went through difficult moments at different stages of the pregnancy. Some days he'd be really happy and excited and other days he would say things or snap or kind of feel, of course, just feel strange about the fact that another man had facilitated this in his words. Mm -hmm. Um, and the uncertainty about what this child was going to be like, look like what people might say or think who Mm -hmm. know, you know, all the stuff that comes with it, as you know, and as you've written about in your book, all those feelings. Um,
0: And men often have a harder time attaching and bonding because they don't have that experience with pregnancy like when they
1: totally. And so totally. for that, they feel
0: more, re- and that's, and Hey, that's if, if you're a biological father too, you can feel really removed. I remember my husband with our first child biological, he said, I didn't really know how, you know, I didn't feel like I really started getting attached to him until he was out and walking around and talking, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which is so true. Joking. But to a point it is <laughs> yeah, true. It yeah, it is. It is true because yeah. they, they
1: need, yeah, exactly. They're not feeling the f- feelings that women feel when they're Going
0: through a pregnancy mm-hmm. um, and which carrying it, the child, yeah, which makes it harder for, in the case of sperm donation, because definitely you need you really want that bonding attachment to form. So how do you feel? How did you overcome that? What did he do to help with that bonding attachment process?
1: Well, I think it was, I think it was especially hard because I was hormonal and also because I was uncertain about what this child might be like and how we'd feel about um, the situation. And I was, I wasn't, I wasn't so. Um, I wasn't scared of the unknown in terms of what the child would be like and look like, but I was more scared about what if my husband doesn't love the baby
0: mm-hmm.
1: and what if he feels like I am more connected to the child than he is because yes. I'm biologically connected to the child? Yes, so originally before we'd ever even tried to have a baby, we I'd always said I'd always said when when we have children, um, I don't want to find out the sex of what we're having because I want a surprise. And he'd always said, I do. I really want to know. And we'd all said, we joked about it. And then when it came to it, you know, I literally couldn't have been happier to find out because he felt that that would help him bond with the child knowing mm-hmm. and imagine the child knowing the sex. And also when you've gone through fertility treatment, you care less about things that you may have cared about before, yes, yeah, because you're just so happy to be having the child that that's right. Things like that just didn't it just didn't seem important anymore, mm-hmm. um, or or you know it wasn't a big deal. So, um, we found out we found out we were having a girl, and um, at that point we decided to keep it to ourselves because we felt as though everyone had known every step, as I said before, of our journey the whole way through. When are you testing? You've had a failure. When are you going back to New York? And um, it was the one thing we could keep to ourselves and enjoy knowing just us for those five months. That's nice. Um, yeah. So that was really nice. And, and that helped um,
0: him to bond too and to start imagining. Yes.
1: Absolutely. Good. I mean, he had a few freak outs at certain scans, mm-hmm. just kind of reality checks. Mm-hmm. But as the pregnancy progressed, he started to feel, I. I, I could, I got a sense of, relaxing slightly and being more in into it um but as you said men men are often like that with biological children anyway so I had Mm -hmm. nothing to compare it to and friends said to me Mm -hmm. don't worry my husband was exactly the same
0: (laughs) yeah yeah I know it's hard to know that line of what is what is related to this genetic stuff and what is just part of normal part of parenting adjustment? Exactly. Yeah. And, exactly. and it is, and it's, there's not always a clear answer to that. And so, no. you know, it's good to think about it and think about both, but know that it may not be um, always what you think it is. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. So, well, how did he, how do you think he, um, else did he overcome you know, those issues of wanting to of a feeling left out. And did he feel, is there something that he could have benefited from receiving at the time or talking to somebody or just yes. distraction of some sort? What would have helped him?
1: Yes. So all the things that um I'm putting together in the hub, some okay. of them would have helped him
0: okay. because yeah.
1: he felt as though his male pride was massively affected. Okay. He felt like, it was the one thing he'd always dreamt of and it had been taken away from him. He didn't want to talk to friends about it or if he did, he was very selective, who knew? Mm-hmm. Um, and he, yeah, I think I wanted to have counselling at the time and we did have a little bit leading up to it but he totally dismissed it and actually mm-hmm. he's much more receptive and open. Well, right now I'll, I'll come on to that but he's a change man in terms of his perception of it and. Mm-hmm openness to talk about it now. He is mm-hmm. fully supportive of Fertility Help Hub. He's fully supportive of me talking about our story, which is obviously so personal for him mm-hmm. uh, and for me, but you know, i, I'm, I it, it's his story to tell too. So I'm obviously mm-hmm. aware of that. And I'm, I just admire him so much for um, being so brave and courageous, trying to help break any stigma around male infertility. He wants He loves it when people contact me asking about our situation and asking how we got over the grieving process of genetics and asking how we feel about it three years down the line he loves that because he feels like if more men can come to him come to us and talk about it then that is a good thing to get people talking
0: it is and you know it's not uncommon for the men i see that do come to counseling because their doctor recommends that they come before donation conception it's not uncommon for me to see Uh, strong reactions like your husband's had. And so Mm -hmm. I do think that's part of their grieving process and they're part of their way of responding to it is to um, distract and to sometimes shut down.
1: And that can be really hard on
0: us women because our tendency is to tend and befriend. So we want to talk about it and we want to connect and men tend to withdraw and disconnect, but that that doesn't necessarily mean it's not good or bad. It's, it's, everyone is different. I do think that we have to ask men what they need and, and not assume that they need what we need. Absolutely. Um, and then if we find, and I'm still, I'd love to know that too, because I know we, you and I talked briefly about this, that stigma with male infertility and how we can t- help break the stigma and how we can offer services to men that they actually need without assuming that it's the same thing. And so, yeah, I'd love to know more about what, what he is has come up with or what he finds helpful. Does he, Is talking helpful now that he's through it? And what would he say to those men who just don't want to talk about it right now and aren't ready? What would he say to them?
1: I think he'd say um, that it's the best outcome we could have hoped for um, given what we were dealt, dealt with. Um, I, I know that he would say that he, his love for, and I'll go on to finish the story about our children. We now have three. Um, (laughs) his love for them is beyond anything I could have imagined. And their bond Mm -hmm. is just amazing. I mean, our, our, our oldest daughter is obsessed with him. She's such a daddy's girl. And when he comes in from work, I mean, he bypasses me, he's straight to the kids. And that's the other thing, he's so proud of them and happy with our family. He's singing it from the rooftops because it's such an amazing gift that we've been given um, mm-hmm. that we wouldn't have had, you know, decades ago. Mm-hmm. So, for, from not talking about it at all and not telling our friends, we've now moved into an area where I am, um, you know, started Fertility Help Hub as a business to empower people and help people and give people these resources coming from someone um, or coming from a powerful personal journey and story, being totally authentic and explaining everything um, that we went through to, yeah. to give people the options and to give people that safe space to feel that sharing is okay and mm-hmm. i think my husband started to realize that for me what i needed was to talk about it and what i found frustrating sometimes was that um because it was affecting him, him genetically or you know he'd had the operation there was a sense that um i don't know how i'm going to explain this but I think sometimes I felt as though people lost sight of the fact that it was affecting us together as a couple rather Mm. than just him. Yes. Because that has a repercussion on my child, my future children too,
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: how we're going to be bringing them up and the hurdles we'll have along the way. It's not just his thing. It's our joint thing as a couple, a married
0: couple. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Infertility is a couple's issue and not just one or the other because it involves two people. And so, yes. And so it's, I think that I like hearing that the hope for men that, hey, even if you're in a place where you can't talk about it now, that you can, um, that you, your feelings may and likely will change and that you, it won't feel so fresh and raw and that that will give you a space to help others. And that can be really therapeutic by itself. Absolutely. So, yeah. And it just, I just, I, just want to keep hearing from men too out there and what it is that we can do and how we can connect. Sometimes I know there's some really powerful male support groups that do meet. And in fact, in my building, yeah. in one of my offices, there's a group that meets every um, Thursday night, I think, and they are just phenomenal. They are the best of friends and they just get together like and chat about things guys like to talk about and they're supportive for each other. And they may not spend as much time getting into the deep stuff that maybe women want to talk about. They may spend more of their time talking about sports or fishing or whatever guys do but that's still something that's really powerful for them even if they're not getting directly into the topic um, absolutely so that absolutely. maybe there's a need you know of just getting together and playing poker or um you know having a card game um just spending time with with guys um exactly so. exactly
1: and also just being um just realizing that there are so many other people out there in the same situation because that mm-hmm. sense of isolation and I don't know anyone else who's gone through this mm-hmm. was definitely there um yeah. and I think oh, something else I forgot to mention earlier was that when we were choosing our donor we actually and and uh, I know you've touched on this in your book. Um, We both were, personally for us, uh, we were both on the same page from the beginning, even at donor selection before the operation, that we wanted to pick an open donor. Um, Okay. And that made the process a lot easier because I could imagine, as you've probably seen before, that if a couple have differences of opinions on that, it Mm -hmm. must be a very hard, difficult hurdle to overcome. Yeah. um so it, it made our choice easier if you like that we knew from the beginning um that we were going to be open with the children about it from day dot and that they we wanted to give them uh the opportunity to meet the donor or connect with them or half siblings when they can at 18 so um yeah. that that's a choice we made very early in the process too which is a really hard decision to make yeah. um before you've even started the process.
0: Yeah, absolutely it is it is a t- wow talk about huge conversations to be having and to try to sort through so much information at first. So yeah, you're right that that is so hard and um, it's great that you were on the same page because not everybody is and you know I will say a lot of couples aren't on the same page about whether they want to tell their child about donor mm. conception either. In fact, I just met with a couple last night where she was okay with it and he was adamantly against it. And so, you know, we had a long conversation and and it was it was pretty cute because at the end of the session he said, okay, well I'm gonna think about what you told me and think about maybe telling my child. And so he was pretty resistant at first, but by the time we came around to the end of it, he had he had, you know, he had really thought about it and thought that he was going to give that some time to digest it. You know? And so yeah, so I think it does it does take time. And I would say just like know that your feelings may change. Know that you have a right to change your mind. and stay flexible and stay adaptable and the Mm -hmm. more you can stay that way in this process Mm -hmm. the the better off it will be in the long run so you know get convinced in any one thought or idea and know that you can change because as your children come to be like yours are you know here and now they're growing and they're your family and you have family life and it's like your attitudes and your thoughts change about what you thought it was going to be isn't exactly how it it always is it goes down and so You can really have a giant change of heart. And so I always kind of just tell people, that's okay. You know, if you do stay open, plant, I'll plant the seed here and, and stay open. How have things changed for you? And what would you say has been more complicated than you thought it would be now that your children are, are older and are, you know, in the, what they're around preschool age or under, under that? Sure
1: after our eldest um turned 11 months we went back to new york and um, we had no embryos left and we wanted to try to give her a sibling um and so we used the same sperm donor again and i had to do a fresh round of ivf um and unbelievably to us it worked first time with twins oh so, wow. fraternal so, twins uh yeah so okay. boy girl twins yes um and uh Amazing. So there's actually an 18 month gap between the three of them, which is chaotic, but um, but they, they,
0: they've started to play together. So it's very sweet. Oh, I'm Um, a boy, girl twin as well. So it's really special being a twin. And I I know being a mama is really hard, but being that kid is just one of the most special things. I love Oh,
1: good to hear. Mm -hmm. Ah, um, so yeah, it's just, um, obviously the three of them as we use the same donor the second time the three of them are all 100% um genetically related Mm -hmm. so that makes the um that makes it slightly easier talking Mm -hmm. to them about it in terms of complication I guess yes um and also one of the reasons I was really well many reasons we were very very um keen to have another child after our oldest was because we felt that um another sibling Almost going through something with with another sibling together mm-hmm. um, might make it easier to process and kind of work yes. through not without having a feeling of being isolated and the only one going yeah. through it. Um, I don't know yet what the outcome of that is because they're only two and a half and one.
0: Um, yeah.
1: But um, yes, to answer your question, we've started to talk to our oldest, who's two and a half, about it. Mm-hmm. But you know, you'll have a conversation and you think you're getting somewhere with very basic terms, you know, Mm. telling it as a a fun kiddie story. Um, And she'll repeat a bit of it. And then I'll say, what did mummy just say?
0: She'll (laughs)
1: say, don't know. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Or, Or she'll say, no, I want some bread so That's right. <laughs> you know the, the con- concentration span isn't there yet but we have books, okay we have books to help with it and right. it's very very sweet I often hear my husband talking to her about it when he doesn't know I'm necessarily listening um yeah. you know, saying mommy and daddy had, you know, really wanted to and we had to go and see a doctor in America, etc., cetera, et cetera. And yes. her saying, "Oh, really? Wow. You know, things like that. So <laughs> we, for, for us personally, we just want the three of them to grow up having always known Yeah. Um, so that they're not sat down one day and it's a shock. Yeah, um,
0: exactly. Yeah. Um,
1: hence the fact that I'm trying to re, re, you know, talk about this sort of thing on fertility help hub so mm-hmm. that in years to come, the children um, can look back and see um, that we were proud about it and trying to give it a voice and in no way is it secondary um, and it's a wonderful option that can help so many people have a much desired family.
0: Yeah, and I like how you describe the scenario of how it and how it actually happens in real life, and yeah. that's it's perfect because it's so true. I mean, they're two years old; they their brains are at a two year old level, and they are just focused on the moment. And exactly, one one of the most I remember writing when I was um, my children were younger, and it's the most surprising thing about parenting that no one told me about was. The basically I called it uh, the re- redundancy and the the volume, you know how loud it how loud they could get. So, you know it was like the and the redundancy was like the repetition of doing things over yeah. and over yeah. and over and over. It's that's part of mastery is they have to repeat it and repeat and repeat. And they usually will find that f- favorite book and they'll want to read it over and over and over. And so I love how you just t- keep telling the story in different ways and what sometimes they may repeat it back. Other times they may just focus on, you know, something outside. And so, but the fact that you're saying it, you're peppering it in your life here and there when it feels normal and natural is, is great. Yeah. And it is, it is, it, they absorb it. It's just, um, and I, I find them more naturally you can do it the better. So if you're comfortable talking with it, with, your, you know, close friends or family members, or even um, other acquaintances, you can talk about it in front of them. So they're overhearing you talk about it. And so they hear it in lots of different forms too. Exactly. So. exactly. Mm-hmm. That's probably the next step. Um,
1: yeah. But, but totally. And I feel like the more my husband and I talk to them about it, which we've been doing with our oldest, obviously the one-year-olds um, can't talk yet. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not a time yet to start that one, but um uh, the more we talk about it, the more natural it comes to us, and the the easier it is. Like with anything,
0: to, that's right, for it
1: to roll off the tongue and feel like a a very real story um, said in a way that isn't that doesn't have any kind of like fear
0: behind it
1: or worry. Exactly,
0: exactly. It's just a natural part of who you are, and. Yeah. I felt the same way when talking to my daughter about her adoption as I started really early and just being really open about it. And so then it never felt like a forbidden to- topic or a really heavily emotionally charged topic. Absolutely. It was just something that, Hey, I just want you to know I'm here and I understand. And, and you can say anything to me and even the negative stuff, you can say that to me. And so, um, you know, I, I had a moment where she didn't, she told me she hated me and, you know, I think she she told me that she or I wasn't her mom. And I, you know, she said it so young to me that I was prepared for it, but I didn't think mm-hmm. it would happen when she was as little as she was. But she was so smart. How and old was she? She was about four years old when she said oh, it. Oh wow! You. Yeah, I expected it later, but it, it happened pretty soon, wow. pretty early on, and maybe maybe four or five. I I can't remember exactly, but um. But I think that, you know, I knew how to handle it. So I just knew she had a a lot, she had a temper. And so I just said, um, you know, you don't, I know you don't mean that. You might not like what mommy's telling you to do right now, but you know, I know that that's what you hate. You don't hate mommy. And you know, so you just have to be the calm parent that realizes that they're just emotionally very immature and undeveloped. And so they're going to lash out like small animals. They are. I mean, that sounded terrible. But they kind of are at that age, aren't they? Totally, totally completely the most adorable, precious things on earth. I love children so much. But two year olds, it can be tough. And three and four and five, I mean, they can be tough. And so yeah. And so they don't mean to they don't mean to say these things. They're not logical. And they're not developed like we are to really fully even understand what they're saying. So it's important not to take that personally.
1: Absolutely. And they don't yeah. know the consequences or the emotional whoa, that could have on on you. I They mean, probably hus- see it
0: on TV somewhere and they repeat exactly. it. Exactly. You know, that's exactly. the truth of it. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband <laughs> does
1: have that worry about them lashing out and saying exactly that. You're not my real dad. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I said to him, well, they'll probably say to me, I wish you weren't my mom.
0: Yeah. Um, there can, there's so many there's, different ways to say it, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure I said horrible
1: things. I did say horrible things to my mother, which I didn't mean. I was just frustrated. Sure. Um, sure. So I, I think whatever the scenario, you're going to be faced with something like that, aren't you?
0: You just do. And you just say, you know what? I, absolutely. I'm your real dad. Absolutely. I'm yeah. your real mom. Yeah. You may not like what I'm telling you right now. You may not like that you've having to go to your room or pick up your clothes, but that has nothing to do with whether I'm your dad or not. <laughs> so exactly. you know, you just, sort of, <laughs> yeah. you just kind of don't let them push that button and no, we'll just let them know there's no button there. If you've, if you've tended to your own trigger or your own emotional insecurity, they can't push it because it's just yeah. not there to push. So exactly. Yeah. That's a very
1: good point. Mm-hmm. Very good point.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I would have enjoyed talking to you so much and I feel like we could have another one because I feel like we could talk about so much more
1: absolutely um, yeah. absolutely
0: i'd love to let you know how things progress as um, do. As, as they start to get
1: older and we talk more <laughs> about it but yeah, yeah it's starting do. to be a natural and fluid conversation which is really great
0: that um
1: is. and yeah i just for anyone who's thinking about going down this route um i think the unknown is scarier than the reality mm-hmm. um and it's for us it's been you know amazing that we've had this opportunity people can subscribe for free via my bio at fertility underscore help underscore hub and the website's www.fertilityhelphub.com
0: thank you so much it's been such a pleasure yeah thank you it was so lovely to speak to you Bye. bye thanks for listening If you'd like to follow me for more content, you can find me on Instagram at Jana LPC and Facebook, and you can also grab a copy of my book, Three Makes Baby, on amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com, and target.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and rate it and share it with a friend if you like it. Have a great day.